Thank you, Daniel. My name is Ron Cole. I'm one of the pastors here at Hillside. Welcome to all of you. Welcome to those of you who are watching online. I think it's safe to say that for all of us, we, we don't like it when people make assumptions about us. Right? When somebody knows just one thing about us and then they think they know everything about us. When, when, when they find out just one thing and then they go, okay, I know what you're like. I know who you are. They label us, and, and what they do is they put us in a box, and none of us like it. That's one of the reasons why I tend not to tell people if I can help, but I tend to not tell people I'm a pastor, because it goes kind of like this. People say, so you're a pastor. That's nice, but, but in their mind, what I kind of guess they're thinking is judgmental jerk, just waiting to push his religion on me. Can't wait till I can get out of here. I got to get away from this guy, right? I mean, just they know this much about me. They know one thing about me, but they think they know how I vote politically and what I'm like this and who I did that. And it just, it bothers us, right? It's not fair for somebody to do that to us. And it's frustrating when people make assumptions about us. Or, so you live in Forest Hills, Ada, pick your East Grand Rapids, pick your place. And, and, and sometimes you don't want to tell people that because you know that they're kind of thinking you're rich and you're snooty and you're spoiled and you're a brat. That's it. Everybody's liking those areas. Because I know you, got, you must have money to live in that community. I, my, my kids have lived on both coasts, and, and Tammy and I have as well. But, you know, you get in an area like New York, sometimes you'll find, you, say, you tell people you're from the Midwest, and you get this kind of like, okay. <laughs> You're one of them. Yeah, let me show you all my guns. I mean, these people have just this idea that, you you know, one thing about somebody, you can tell them everything else. We don't like it when when people make assumptions about us. And Jesus didn't like it either. In fact, it was one of the biggest challenges I think Jesus faced. One of the biggest problems, as it were, that Jesus had. Because he knew that if people knew who he really was, they, they would make all sorts of assumptions about him. If they knew who he really was, they would say, oh, you're that one. Okay, well then here, do this, do that, do the next thing. There would be so many different things, and they would put Jesus in a box. I mean, if Jesus had just been public about it and said, I'm God's son, so you're God's son, that's nice. That's a wonderful thing. But inside, some of the people Jesus knew would have been saying, you must hate bad people like me. If you're, if you're with God, then I know you're not with me because I know other people who are with God. On the other hand, there were some people who would have said, oh, you must be proud of good people like me. Y- me and your dad are like this. Religious leaders of Jesus' day would have said, oh, yeah, <laughs> you're the son of God. Man, me and your dad, we're, we're just tight. We're just tight. And some would have just said, we're all toast. So you're the Messiah. That's nice. Finally, someone to kill all of the Romans. Yes, he's going to make Israel great again. I've got this thing on my elbow. Could you fix it? And Jesus knows that as soon as people know who he is, they're going to make all sorts of assumptions about him. They're going to try to put him in a box. They're going to try to just tell him exactly, and they won't be able to hear anything he says because they will know everything he says. They will know everything he's going to do. At least they think they will. And so something you may have noticed, maybe you didn't, but it's really fascinating. But what happens, and it's especially true in the Gospel of Mark, because of this, because Jesus knows people are going to make assumptions about him, he does something very interesting. Jesus told those who knew who he was not to tell anyone who he was. In a sense, during the first three years of his ministry, almost to the very end, right until the last week, Jesus is, as it were, an anti-evangelist. He would do a miracle, and then he'd say, don't tell. It's like, yeah, but you... 
And, and he does it over and over again. Let me give you real quick some examples here. Mark 1, 24 and 25, Jesus meets a man with an impure spirit, a demon-possessed person. And, and, and this person says, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? And then one of them speaks out and says, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And, and if Jesus had a good PR person, the PR person would have said, hey, can you repeat that? Get the cameras over here, guys. This is a demon saying, I know who you are. He is the Holy One of God. He is, this is going to play well. This is going to be a great... But what does Jesus do? Jesus says, be quiet. We don't say mean words like shut up, but that's what he said. Shut up, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. And it wasn't just this demon. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. If you know who I am, you've got to be quiet about it. Jesus heals a man with leprosy. You think, come on, this guy's the Messiah. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that what? You don't tell this to anyone. Don't tell anybody what I did. Jesus heals a deaf and a mute man, somebody who can't hear or speak. Jesus commanded everybody who saw it, commanded them, we're still, you know, not to tell anyone. Going up to chapter 8, Peter says that Jesus is the Messiah. Who do you say I am, Jesus says? Peter says, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. And Jesus says, go tell it on the mountaintop, right? No, he says, don't tell anyone about me. Don't tell anyone. Mark 9, 9, Jesus is an amazing moment. Meets with Moses and Elijah. Moses, who led the people out of slavery in Egypt. Elijah, the greatest of the prophets. They come down. Jesus meets with Moses and Elijah on this mountaintop. Peter, James, and John are also there. Peter, James, and John are going, dude, this is amazing. Everybody's going to believe in you now. But as they were coming down the mountains, 9, 9, Mark 9, 9. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. Time and time again, for three years, for three years, Jesus has been telling those who knew him, who knew who he was, not to tell others. Telling those who had figured it out, don't tell others. Because he knew once he got that label, they'd all think they knew who he was. They'd have an agenda for him. They'd tell him what he had to do And so for three years, don't tell, don't tell, don't tell. But now finally it's time. Now finally it's time. On on the the Sunday, for the Jewish people, it was literally a Sunday. The Sunday for them was the day after their Sabbath. And and so it was the Sunday before the Thursday when he was arrested. So you're kind of in the right time frame. Within a week of it, now finally it's time. Finally, it's time for Jesus to say, it's me. This is who I am. And as Jesus comes into Jerusalem, he's ready to tell the crowds who he is. And and it's fascinating because he does this without saying a word to the crowds. He does this without saying a word to the crowds. He says, this is who I am. And the question is, will we hear what he's really saying this morning.
We've been talking about these encounters with Jesus. We looked at a number of different people who've had these encounters with Jesus. And this morning, it's the crowds in there. Talk about it in Mark chapter 11, verses 1 through 10. Jesus and the disciples are going from Jericho up to Jerusalem. Again, just to kind of orient us, uh, this is a map of Israel here. Uh, You see Galilee at the top. That's where Jesus spent a lot of time. Jerusalem is there, and Jericho is here. So they're making that final journey. It's about 18 miles from Jericho to Jerusalem. And, and you always go up to Jerusalem. And what's significant about this journey is not the 18 miles. What's significant is about the change in elevation. This is a, an elevation map. And what we have is Jericho over here, way down at the bottom. And we've got Jerusalem way up here, near the top of that mountain, just below the Mount of Olives. It's a distance of 18 miles. Now, notice this blue line here. Let me bring it up a little bit. is, is sea level, Okay. So, so Jericho has one of the rare distinctions. It has a rare distinction. It is one of the few cities, one of the very few cities that was ever below sea level. 700 feet below sea level. Usually it's wet below sea level, but because of the way that it was protected from water flowing into it and so on, only the Dead Sea, which was even lower than sea level. But Jericho was able to exist in the city that was below sea level. Jerusalem, on the other hand, is, is 2,450 feet elevation, so kind of the half-mile-high city, right? Denver's the mile high. Jerusalem is kind of about the half-mile, but it's, well, it's six-tenths of a mile, 3,150 feet, change in elevation, so well, six-tenths of a mile isn't much. It is if you're climbing a ladder. It is if you're going 3,150 steps up, uh, and that's a foot each. I mean, double that if there's... I mean, so this is... That journey is up and up and up and up and up, and that's where Jesus and the disciples are going. They're starting in Jericho. They're going to end in Jerusalem. We want to pick up the journey about halfway, so we'll bring them back down to there, all right? Jesus and the disciples are going from, Jerusalem, from Jericho up to Jerusalem. Now, we should also recognize that they're not alone. Okay, they are not alone because it's Passover time. It, it, it's the major festival in the time of Israel. It's the, the biggest day of the year for the people of Israel where, where people would be gathering together. It meant that hundreds of thousands of people would be coming into Jerusalem. They'd be coming from, from uh, the northern part of Israel, the southern part of Israel, the western part of Israel. They'd be coming from other nations, some from parts of Africa, some from other parts of the Middle East. They'd be coming from all over the world, from Rome, some of them, coming to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. And, and, and we need to understand something that's a little bit unique for us, different than us, and that is that, that for, for the, these people, Passover was not just a religious holiday for Israel. We tend to do that, right? We have religious holidays and we have secular holidays. Now, Christmas, I guess you get kind of both, but, but it, it, we tend to say, you know, I mean, the 4th of July is, well, we're thankful for independence and so on. It's, it's not a religious day. It's, it's a secular day. It's a national holiday. It's that kind of thing. But, but for the Jewish people, because they were part of God's people, nation of Israel, Passover was, was Independence Day. It was a day of celebrating when God had rescued the people out of Egypt, when, when Moses had led the people and, and God had liberated his people. God had set his people free. And so now, as they're under Roman occupation, you can imagine that that made this time of the year pretty nervous for the Romans, right? Because you have an occupied people who are celebrating their previous Independence Day. They're celebrating when they had been set free. And it's a great day for the Messiah to set them free again. It is a great time for the Messiah to get rid of the Romans. 
as they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage and Bethany, the Mount of Olives. Again, let's just kind of get a, a picture in our minds. I've, I've done this in half. It's now nine miles. The, the Jesus and the disciples come up, and they stop there at Bethphage and Bethany. We don't know exactly where Bethphage is. Bethany, we have a pretty good idea. Don't know if they were right next to each other or what. But, but we're, again, we're about 1,900 feet above sea level here. Okay, so we've done quite a bit of climbing. They get to this point, about two miles away from Jerusalem, As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt, a young donkey, tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Tuck that detail in the back of your mind, okay? Just no one has ever ridden this this young colt, this donkey. Untie it and bring it here. Which I would imagine the disciples were kind of looking at Jesus like, God, that feels a lot like stealing. Uh, <laughs> go find this thing. It's tied up. Just take it back to me. And so Jesus says, if anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord needs it. And we'll send it back here shortly. Again, this is so, in, in, in some ways, so unusual, especially in the Gospel of Mark for Jesus. To, he, he usually calls himself the Son of Man. Uh, he's usually so humble, but in a sense what Jesus is now getting ready to do is to say, no, the Lord needs it. (laughs) Okay, the Lord needs it. The Lord needs it. And and, and the disciples might already be anticipating something is a little bit different. So they went and found a colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway. As they untied it, sure enough, some people standing there asked, what are you doing untying the colt? They answered as Jesus told them to, and the people let them go. All right, so they have the coat, the colt. When they brought the colt, when they brought the young donkey to Jesus and threw their clothes over it, this is huge. He sat on it. You didn't gasp. No, we don't understand it, right? I mean, so what? Yeah, what else would you do, right? He, 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 let me tell you, this is huge for Jesus to sit on this donkey. This is huge. I'll show you why in just a minute. For Jesus to ride into Jerusalem, this is huge. Again, so, so they're here near Bethphage and Bethany, about 1,900 feet. Jesus is riding on this donkey now. Uh, there's some coats that have been thrown over it. And he makes his way up, and, and, and he comes to the Mount of Olives. And, and this is something, if you ever get to Israel, it is an amazing thing to do. Not as amazing now as it was then, but to come up from the east side of the Mount of Olives, to come up the way Jesus would have, and then you come to the top and you see Jerusalem. You, you look down the, the Kidron Valley here, which drops down about 250 feet, but then to look up and, and to see Jerusalem, the golden city, to see the temple, it would have been just an amazing thing. It is still an amazing thing to come over this. This is what everybody has been waiting for. This is what everybody has been looking for. And, and, and this is how one person kind of drew a possibility of it. It's just, I mean, that's literally like what the land is like, but you notice the temple would be about here, somewhere in there, but... But, but they come to the top of the Mount of Olives. And I would imagine Jesus just slowed. And he was looking down. And now the crowds start to gather together. Now the crowds get bigger. And, and, and Jesus and the disciples, they ride, they walk, he rides into Jerusalem. And he goes to the temple. That's the message. That's what Jesus wanted to say. 
So this is what Jesus wants the people to see, that he's riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. Okay, that doesn't hit me much, right? That doesn't, so what? So he's riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. Big deal. Without saying anything, Jesus is saying a lot. And he's saying in particular two things that we need to hear this morning. Two things that we need to remind ourselves every day about. The first thing that Jesus is saying is, guess what? You're right. I am the God and King of Israel. Jesus, by riding in in a donkey into Jerusalem, what he was saying in all the crowds, they, they got this part of it. Jesus is saying, I'm him. I'm the Messiah. I'm the King. I am God. I am the king of Israel, and not just of Israel, but of the world. Let me tell you why the people would have understood that, and you and I don't. Okay, what what did they know that we don't know? You see, they would have recognized something that was called a triumph. There was a certain kind of processional in that day in the Roman Empire that was called a a triumph. And what would happen is the, the Roman Emperor, Augustus or whoever it was at the time, would ride into a city on a steed, usually a white war horse reserved only for him. Again, would ride into a city. You and I say, okay, so they ride into a city. In that day, very few people rode into the city, right? If the city was busy, a village you could ride through. But in a city, the, the, the streets were tight. There were people all over. You didn't ride through that. You, you walked through that. And if you were important enough, somebody carried you through that, right? They would have you, people would carry something, and you might be sitting on a chair. But it was rare, very, very rare to ride an animal into the city. It was not done. Unless you were the emperor <laughs> or Jesus. I mean, it was done, but it was unusual, and certainly unusual, only time Jesus does this. And, and, and again, the Roman emperor would come in on a, on a seed that was reserved only for him. Nobody else could ride the emperor's horse. And Jesus is on a donkey that never has been ridden. The emperor would go into the, the, the town, whatever one it was, the, the city, the, whether it was Rome most often, but he would go in and, and make his way to the temple, okay? He would end up at the temple, and, and, and believe it or not, that's where Jesus ends up. And, and by doing this, by riding in on, a, on a, and a, a, a war horse, on a steed that nobody else would ride, an emperor would be saying something and then going to the temple, the emperor would be saying, I am divine, I am the king of kings, and I am a god, worship me. He would be claiming that. That's, that's what it was. It was a, a time, and, and, and by the time of Jesus, that's specifically what it was. It was different in Greece, but by Roman times, at the time of Jesus, the emperor did this, and he was saying, I am a god, worship me. And at one sense, that is exactly what Jesus is saying. I mean, for a guy who's been quiet, he said, guess what? I am a god. I am the king of Israel. I am the king of the world. And we need to recognize that and not take anything away from that because we need a king like that. We need somebody who can take care of us. And and what Jesus wants us to know is the king, Jesus will do what a good king should do. He will defeat the enemies who oppress us. He promises to do that. Jesus will defeat the enemies that oppress us. He will lead and guide us. He will protect us. And he will provide for us. Jesus is saying, that's who I am. I am the king, and I will do everything a good king should do. 
but I'm also God, and as God, I have the power to do this. I am the God and King of, of, of Israel. I'm the God and King of the world. But it's the second part. It's the second part that I think we need to hear this morning. Because what Jesus is saying as he rides into Jerusalem on a donkey is I'm not the kind of God and king you are assuming I am. You're making a lot of assumptions. You think that I'm going to use power the way you use power. You think I'm going to do what you would do. No, I am the God and king who is going to make all things new, but I will do it in a way you never expected I will do it in a way that you would never have guessed. Don't put me in a box. By riding a donkey, Jesus is saying, don't put me in a box. By coming in humility, Jesus is saying, don't think you have me figured out. The people had an agenda all set for the coming king. First, kill the Romans, the Gentiles, and let's just add everybody I don't like. Okay? Get rid of everybody I don't like. Put me in power, make me rich, and keep me safe. That's what the Messiah does. That's what the king of kings is going to do for Israel. We are going to be great again. We are going to be number one. We are going to be in charge. And so you be the Messiah. You do that. If you're the king of kings, this is what you are called to do. And Jesus says, no. It's not how I operate, friends. You got me wrong. And the fact of the matter is, it's not just them who sometimes get Jesus wrong. We have our own agendas for Jesus. I mean, this is the challenge for us this morning is to ask ourselves, what do we do to Jesus? Where have we said, okay, Jesus, if you are God and King, and I believe you are, since you are God and King, then what you've got to do is you've got to protect my children, right? As long as I obey you, then my kids are going to be safe. That's the deal we have, right? That's if you are my King, then you're supposed to protect me. So keep my children safe. Help me to be at least middle class. I mean, not all of us can have a lot of money, but can I at least be middle class? That seems fair to ask, doesn't it? Come on, God. I shouldn't be poor if I'm your child. And I wouldn't mind if you'd make my enemies pay. Have them suffer just a little bit. Now or later, I don't care. It's up to you. But make them hurt as much as they hurt me. Sometimes our agendas go further, God. Bless America. And maybe Canada, because they're okay. But curse everybody else. And don't let that kind of a person move into my neighborhood. And God, please, keep the Muslims out of the... We do that, right? Because we know what God wants. We know how Jesus would act. We know where the power... We know what we would do if we were the king of kings. We know what we would do if we were in that situation. And we assume it. But Jesus does not come to fulfill our agendas. Jesus doesn't come to do what we want him to do. He doesn't come to give us what we want. This is good news, folks. He comes to give us what we need. He comes to give us the right thing. If he gave us what we wanted, if he had given Israel what the people of Israel wanted at that time, Israel would have been a great nation. But they wouldn't have been saved. If he gives us so much of what we ask, our lives might be easier we might be lost. Jesus is not the kind of God and king that we so often assume he is. He comes in humility. Again, he's riding a donkey. This is your king. This is our king. We don't worship a God who displays all of it. He's got all that power, okay? That's why I say he is the king of kings. He is God himself. But, but he, doesn't, 
He doesn't abuse it. He doesn't doesn't show it quickly. He comes in humility. He comes in quiet. He comes to be close to the broken. He comes in humility. He comes in love. He is a king whose whose crown is going to be a crown of thorns and whose throne is going to be a cross. He comes in grace. He will forgive his enemies and restore them. So God, overcome my enemies, and he will. But he'll do it by dying. And that's crazy. And that's hard for us to understand. To to hold both those things together. I'm the God and King of the world. But I'm not what you think I am. The crowd got at least part of the message, Mark tells us. Many people spread their cloaks on the road. They, they, they recognize this as a triumph. That's what you did at a triumph. You threw your cloak down. You, you let people walk on it. They broke off branches, and they waved those, and, and, and they said, and they shouted, Hosanna, save us, those who went ahead and those who followed. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. And on the one hand, they were more right than they ever knew. I mean, Jesus was a king who was not going to just save them from the Romans, but save them from their sin. Not just defeat their, their human enemies, but defeat the part of themselves that's an enemy and, and, and restore them and make them new. And, and so when they were saying, save us, save us, they were right. And when we sing, Hosanna, save us, bless you, blessed is the one Bless the Lord, O my soul. He is the one who is bringing us new life. They were more right than they knew, but they were also more wrong than they could have imagined because he does it in such an upside-down way. By the end of the week, five days later, they're shouting, crucify him. So what about us? It's Holy Week. It's that week of Good Friday and then Easter And it gives us time to ask some important questions. I think one of the main ones is, will we allow Jesus to define himself? Will we let Jesus be who he is, not who we think he should be? Will we worship a king on a donkey? Will we worship a king who will turn our enemies into friends? By his grace, will we worship a king who will die and call us to do the same? Will we allow Jesus to tell us who he is and will we follow him to the cross? See, one of the reasons I want Jesus to be rich and powerful is <laughs> because then that, I get to be that as I follow him. But Jesus is a servant riding on a donkey. Whether he had a lot of stuff or a little, he was a servant. And he came to give his way his life. And if I want to claim to belong to him, that becomes my life. To give away my life. To find the joy of serving others. So what are our next steps? How do we, how do we take this and chew on it this week? How do we take this and allow it to shape us? How do we let Jesus be Jesus this week? Again, we've got these available 
<clears throat> the doors on your way out. There are some at the Information Welcome Center Summit by the mailbox doors. But again, there are just some questions here and then some exercises of, of things you can think about, of spending time just saying, Jesus, help me to see where I've put you in a box. Jesus, help me to see where I've assumed that you're just like me rather than me becoming just like you. Let be you and help me to follow you. And for all of us, my prayer this week, I hope your prayer this week is, Jesus, forgive us when we put you in a box. Okay? Forgive us when we think we have you figured out. Because none of us do. Even today, if we, we, we know the main things, don't get me wrong, but we still put Jesus into our human boxes. Be the God and King we really need not the one we want. It's a hard prayer to pray, (laughs) but it's the prayer of a disciple. Jesus, help me to see who you really are and be what I need, not what I want. Let's pray together.